Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch London. For more information and resources, please go to ChristchurchLondon.org. and the team for inviting me here and I'm from North London near Wembley, Harrow and I'm essentially a youth worker so in a minute I will ask you to turn to the person next to you and swap clothes. That's exciting isn't it? Um, (laughs) And uh, David asked me to come and chat a little bit about something that I know you as a church are so passionate about and that is culture. Like engaging with culture, asking Jesus, how do you want me to live my life today in a way that brings in the kingdom of God and sees change? And I think in this last year, I feel like I've had like um, my own experience of two quite key culture-defining moments. So about a year ago in the summer, my friend went to Blue Water and she took her two teenage daughters to a shop called Misguided, which sells clothes a bit like New Look for teenage girls, pre-teen girls. Um, and on the wall, on the back of the store, you're going to see it behind me in a minute, there was in neon pink the words, send me nudes. And I know that you know, because you guys know your, your lipstick palettes, don't you? I know that. So you know, oh, well, nudes means a lipstick palette. Although also, living in the 21st century with iPhones... We know, don't we, that young people, one of the biggest issues for young people today is sexting, so taking and creating quite sexually explicit images, naked images. And the police anecdotally say that 80% of these images, once they're online, will end up on child abuse websites. So this mum was like, "Uh, what, like, in Misguided, they've got a sign on the back of the wall basically saying to teenage girls, send me nudes. Like, there's, that's all kinds of wrong, isn't it, in a public shop? So she said, what shall I do? I know what. I know a middle-aged woman who likes the sound of her own voice. So she took a photo of it and sent it to me. And I did what all fierce middle-aged women do, sat in my dressing gown, and I launched an online campaign. Oh, yes. <laughs> and within about 72 hours, we asked for the shop to cover the sign and then take the sign down. Great, cha-ching, good news. One tiny little thing. I mean, it's a tiny drop in a big ocean. And the danger is that it can sound like I'm anti-sex. And not at all. But I'm anti the pressure on young people today to be sexually available, sexually experienced, sexually abused. And I love it what Rowan said. Thank you so much for standing up here. Because the last service we were at, you couldn't mention the word porn and masturbation because there were so many kids. And I was going, just say the words. Come on, just say them. Um, but also, I want to add to that. I love it that you guys do a, a, a course for men. That's brilliant. I know that women, we struggle with porn and masturbation too. So if any of my sisters are struggling with this too, remember there is all that brilliant stuff is also for us women as well. Because we live in this age and we struggle with porn and we struggle with masturbation as well. But the other cultural thing that I think I've been so aware of, and unless you've lived under a rock, you wouldn't be aware of, is been the hashtag Me Too movement. And whereas the Send Me Nudes movement was just tiny, it was so personal, it was so localised, the hashtag Me Too has been global, hasn't it? And we must acknowledge that it was started over 10 years ago by a black female feminist and only came to light when the white feminists took it on. That's something that I think, white women, we need to be very aware of. But it's such an important movement because what it did was it gave to every woman and to some men who raised their voice too that my one story, my story of pain, assault, abuse or hurt can be heard. It can be heard and acknowledged and listened to and bring about change. 
So although it was on a global scale, it was still completely personal for the people that got involved. And maybe some of you here shared your hashtag MeToo stories. And I wanted to talk about culture. And you probably have way better definitions of culture than I have. I just keep saying the word over again in the hope that you won't realize I've not defined it. But I suppose if I was to define it, I would say it's whatever makes that stuff personal. Like it's the stuff in our lives that we live for and that we are shaped by. It's the world that we live in. It's the way things are done around here. And it is profoundly personal. And I think as Christians, the everything forming stuff in our lives, the water that we swim in, the world that we live in, we need to ask the big questions of Jesus, how are you wanting me to engage with this stuff? So here's that moment where you're going to do something. All the activists are like, phew! All the reflectors are like, oh no, who gave this woman a mic? But you're not going to turn to the person next to you. Just where you are, fold your arms. Where you are, just fold your arms. So good. Now, not a single one of you said, wait a minute, I know this one. Let me just try and remember. Like you just instinctively did it, didn't you? And that's because when you're about three and a half years old, like your stepdad or your mum would have sat you down and said, now in our family, in our culture, we fold our arms like this. Is that what happened? No, that's not what happened. Nobody taught you how to fold your arms. You just picked it up. You just like reflected what's going on around you. You just learnt it. But how about this now? Unfold your arms. Now fold them the opposite way. (laughs) There's a lovely gentleman at the back that's like, yeah, I've got this. (laughs) He just looks really uncomfortable. And it's weird, isn't it? You've got to like unlearn what you have done. Yeah, yours as well, David. Well done. You're in the front row, but I'm going to out you. But you have to unpack how you normally do it so that you can do it the opposite way. And that is so much, I think, for me about the journey of faith and being Christ's, is that there are times in life where I think, do I just do this thing because it's just how everyone does it? Or do I actually really think this is, as a a 21st century woman, that this is actually how I should be living my life, even if it means I have to kind of do it differently to people around me? So a little bit of that today, is that okay? So what I thought I'd do is unpack a little bit of how we might engage with culture, read an Andy Crouch quote. (laughs) Have you on side, I love him. He's awesome, he's your boy, isn't he? Um, And then land in a bit of scripture and look a little bit what we can extrapolate and then just say, Holy Spirit, we're yours, what do you want to do? Does that sound okay? Brilliant, wonderful. Okay, so how do we connect with culture? How do we engage with culture? It's a big question. And there's a book written by 20th century American Christian ethicist called H. Richard Niebuhr called Christ and Culture. And he outlines five different ways of seeing how Jesus engages with culture. And I'm just going to pop psychology run through this very, very briefly. Number one, And some of you might resonate with this. My upbringing definitely was about this. Number one is the idea of Christ against culture. So you've you've met Christ, come out and be separate. Burn all those LPs, burn all those CDs. Like nothing about culture must touch you. You've got to be separate. And my family, we were homeless when I was a teenager. We, for four years, we sofa surfed on different people's sofas. And we ended up um, moving on to Ashburnham Community in the South Coast. Um, And for some people at that time, living at Ashburnham Community was all about communal living, living simply, living with others, being shaped by others. For some other people, it was all about escapism. 
It was all about, I can't cope with 21st century life. I just need to live in a Christian bubble. I just can't connect with culture. Everything out there is evil and sinful, and I just need to be protected. And as a youth worker, I find that a lot. I love youth workers ringing me up. My kids, they're 14, and they're talking about sex. I'm like, great. That's exactly what they should be talking about. If they weren't, you've got problems. So Christ against culture. The second idea is Christ of culture. So, so if Christ against culture is right up that end, no engagement, then Christ of culture is right down this end. This is the idea that basically Christianity is totally compatible with the culture around culture assimilation, whatever is happening in culture, whatever movements, whatever ideas, whatever ideologies, whatever beliefs, actually the Christian church is pretty cool with that. The question is just to get along with it and make it all work. Two completely separate ideas. Here's another idea that he talks about, and this is Christ above culture. And this is the idea that everything that is good in human culture is a gift from God, So excellence in arts and science and inventions and creativity is a gift from God. But to realize its potential, it needs Christian wisdom, Christian oversight. So for the arts to really be brilliant, it needs to have Christian wisdom in there, having Christian oversight. And uh, I suppose lots of parachurch organizations sometimes are operating in this sphere. I know in my line of work at Youthscape, We produce mental health resources, resources for working with teenagers in care, working with young people at risk of criminal and sexual exploitation. Much of our resources, you wouldn't necessarily know, have been written by a Christian, but lots of Christians like to use our resources because they've had Christian wisdom and oversight as well as best practice. There's a tension there. Is it automatically better because Christians have written it? Oh, no. Is music automatically better because Christians have written it? Oh, no. (laughs) Not always. But it's an interesting tension, isn't it? But should it be? Should we actually be the most imaginative? Should we be with the Spirit of Jesus in us? Good questions. Number four. So this is the fourth idea. Is Christ and culture in paradox? And this is quite dualistic. This is a bit of rendering unto Caesar what is Caesar's, unto God's what is God's. So it's the idea that Christians live out their lives coming under authority of the state, of laws, of structures. But the moment the culture around says you can't be living for Jesus, then we've got problems. So do you remember the story of years ago, British Airways, a Christian woman wanted to wear the cross on her necklace and there was a whole ding-dong around that. That's a classic example of kind of wrestling within that framework. I'm a Christian. I want to wear a cross. It doesn't prevent me doing a good job. Why are you not letting me wear a cross? And you will have different views in this room around what, who should have come out on top in that story. And the last one, the last idea that Richard comes up with in his book, Christ and Culture, is the one that he loves. And it's the one called Christ, the transformer of culture. And it's the idea that society needs to be entirely converted to Christianity for it to really be flourishing and for everybody to do well. And what's been very positive about the legacy of that, I would say, in youth ministry the last 10 years, is 10, 15 years ago, if you were to ask a Christian teenager what do you want to be when you're older, they would think that the right answer would be a church leader, worship leader, or youth worker. 
Whereas now they know that the right answer is whatever it is that God's called them to be. Working in industry, working in fashion, working in music, uh, being a full-time parent, being a foster carer, working for social services, working in politics. That actually there's no sacred secular divide. Some stuff is not more important to God than others. It's all important to God. And yet, I see your faces. If I was to ask you, which of these five ideas sits the most closely to how you believe Jesus asks us to engage with culture? I wonder what you'd say. And I wonder if you're already 10 steps ahead of me, preaching this ahead of me, and I'm catching up. Because one of the problems with all of these ideas is they present that there is culture and that there is God and there is always tension between the two. And our job as Christians is trying to work out how we can get away with as much Christian stuff as we can before it kind of causes problems. And I want to suggest that we don't need to be saved from culture. We need to be saved from sin. We don't need to be saved from culture. We need to be saved from sin. Because the truth is that culture begins with God. God creates culture, doesn't he? So look in Genesis. The, uh, and I know you guys know this stuff, but in Genesis we see that God not only creates the raw materials of life, like the flint and the iron ore and the water and the H2O and all that kind of stuff, he also creates culture. Why did he wait until everything was made before human beings rocked up? Well, before then, there'd be nowhere for them to live and to stand, nothing for them to eat, nothing for them to do. So God creates the culture that we'll live by, the way we'll interact and organize our lives. And what I love is that the good news of Jesus is not just a piece of information floating out there that we access on a Sunday morning. It's about the total reshaping of the whole of human life towards God. And we see through Scripture, don't we, that this wonderful kind of creep of the kingdom of God, like those plants. Now, how we're all in the city, aren't we? So this probably won't work, this idea. But do you ever remember like a grandparent's garden where there was like some ivy that used to just like grow and creep? Like this steady creep of the kingdom of God. Wherever the kingdom of God touches human culture, there is complete transformation. How people see women is changed. How people see babies is changed. How people see politics and slavery is changed. And our world is empowered by electricity in the way that the first century world was empowered by slavery. Nobody in the first century would have questioned whether slavery was good or bad. It just made the whole thing work. In the way that we don't ask if switching on lights is okay for us to do as Christians, we just switch the lights on. And yet, here's this new little conclave of Christians who follow this murdered saviour with some crazy story of him coming back to life. And they say, in our gatherings, nobody is a slave. Like, everyone gets to play. Everyone is equal. And the slow creep of the kingdom of God changes everything. Our call as Christians is not to oppose culture out there. It's to oppose sin. To wage war against sin. And if I was to ask any of my teenagers that I work with in the church, like, how would you describe God? Like, what's God like? I know what they'd say. They'd all say this God is love. And I'd say, cha ching, well done, eat some more Haribo. That's absolutely right. God is love. 
and well done for being here and having a pulse and being awake and all that kind of stuff. But if you were to ask the biblical writers, how would you describe God? Like, who is God? The biblical writers would say this. Well, our God is the God who marches onto enemy territory and fronts up against Pharaoh and rescues his people and drags them across the Red Sea and takes them into the promised land. Our God is a God who takes people out of slavery and brings them into freedom. Who do you say God is? Well, our God is a God that wherever there is death and despair and sickness and rejection and poverty and injustice, our God is the God who brings life and hope and freedom. Who's God? Our God is the God that in your absolute weakest point where you are squaring down your addictive behavior and you're sat there with your smartphone or in front of that drink or the business of work or whatever it is and you feel weak, weak, weak. Our God is the God that in that very moment says, brilliant, this is where I'll prove my strength to you. And right here is where you'll see the glory of God. And not only will you see it, but as you gaze on it, your face will radiate it and you will be bearing the glory of God. Oh my goodness! So get to that recovery course because you want your life to bear the glory of God. There needs to be no other reason than that. Get to that recovery course because you're a leader. (laughs) Get there because you want to create culture. Get there because you want God to do that deep stuff in your work. And let's get one going for the women as well. But isn't that amazing, isn't it? That that's who God is. So as we look across our society and look across our world, do you want to know where God is at work? He's at work wherever we see signs of people moving from slavery to freedom. Wherever we see signs of life in places of death, that's where God's at work. Whether the people doing the nuts and bolts ground the work know him or not, that's a sign of his kingdom. And that's what I want to get involved with. And so number one, that culture begins with God, not with us. And number two, cultural engagement along with worship of God is the fundamental calling of the human race. It's the fundamental calling of the human race. Jesus took on first century Palestine culture, didn't he? When the image of the invisible God arrived, he took on flesh and blood and culture as well. But he didn't just consume culture. He created something different and he brought something new to it. So in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, like there's many times where Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Can you remember what any of those are? I guarantee you'll know them. There's about four or five of them. Jesus says, you have heard it said, dot, 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 but I say to you. Right, this is one of them. You have heard it said, don't murder. But I say to you, if you harbor in your heart resentment and you let that breed, you become a toxic ticking time bomb and all that is lacking is the opportunity to actually fulfill the murder. You have heard it said, uh, don't commit adultery. But Jesus says this, but I say to you, if you prolong the thought of lust in your mind, if you go back to that thought, if you keep revisiting it and drawing it up and playing it over in your mind, you might as well have done the deed. There's no difference. And Jesus says this, uh, you've heard it said, love your friends and kind of put up with your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies. In fact, go one step further. Pray for them. Instead of go one step further, like do good for them. Like when they like trash everything and then dare to ask you for something, give them more than they ask for. 
Can you see why the new church suddenly grew in influence across the world? It wasn't just because of the random, amazing, miraculous things that happened, although they did do amazing stuff. It's because they lived like that. They took on Christ's culture. They created something different with the world around them. So here's the Andy Crouch moment, people. Are you ready for this? I think you know this. I love it. I just love having met him through you, David. He's such a gift to the church, isn't he? But he says this, it's not enough to condemn culture. You shouldn't be doing that. Church, we're very good at that, aren't we? It's not sufficient merely to critique culture, copy culture, or consume culture. The only way to change culture is to create culture, to be worshippers, to be worshippers that at our heart we are fully surrendered to the living God and out of our lives is created this kind of God culture, living differently, transforming things. So if you've got your Bible, I'd love you to turn to uh, Luke chapter 5. It might be on an app or you might have memorized it. Uh, Luke chapter 5. <laughs> and it's, um, it's a wonderful story of Jesus um, and his wonderful miracle of multiplying the fish. Like where there's no fish, Jesus is like, go look again. And I'm going to read some of these verses to you. So on one occasion, I'll read from verse 1 down to about verse 6. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. So Jesus hops into one of their boats and says to Simon, like, will you just push this boat out into the water a little bit? So Simon dutifully does that. And Jesus stands there and he keeps preaching. And when he'd finished, Jesus turns to Simon and, I, and he says this. I don't know how he says it with a straight face. But he turns to Simon and says, oh, Simon, um, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon says, I've been out all night. Like, check my hands. I'm a, I'm a swarthy fisherman. Like, this is what I do. This is my arena. Like, who are you, landlubber? I know what I'm about. There's no fish out there. I've been there all night. But Scripture says, but I'll take you at your word. I will let down the nets. And Simon's not heard Jesus really do anything particularly much other than preach yet. It's amazing faith, isn't it? And when they'd done this, they enclosed, they took in a large number of fish and their nets were breaking and they signaled to the partners to come from other boats and they came and filled up both boats. They began to sink. But when Simon saw this, he fell on his knees before Jesus and said, do it again, like do it again, that was wicked. Like, no, he doesn't say that. He says, depart from me. Who, like, who am I? Like, this is terrifying, this kind of power there's no fish there, and yet you somehow magicked up some fish. Like, who are you? Depart from me. I'm not worthy to be anywhere close to you. And I love this story because it does two things. It does many things probably, but two things to draw out. Number one, it just gives us a glimpse of what Jesus loves to do when he's presented with death, despair, fruitlessness, powerlessness, a big black hole. Jesus goes, just pop back and do it differently this time. It's beautiful, isn't it? That's what Jesus wants to do in your life, where the signs of slavery and the signs of fruitlessness and the signs of despair are just kind of creeping up into your life. And you say, hang on a minute. 
I believe in the God who makes all things new, who takes the weakest and makes it strong, who takes death and brings life. So I'm going to be ready, God, for whatever you're going to bring out of this. I'm ready for it. I'm not going to tell you what that's going to be, but I'm ready to do this again. Even if it feels like you're asking me to do the same thing over and over again. I will do it, Lord, because you are the God who brings hope out of despair. You bring life out of death. Isn't that awesome? And that's our story. Me and Jace, I shared this a bit last time. I can't have kids. And we prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And I did those, like, those prayers. I was like, I was a pretty good Christian girl. God, you owe me. <laughs> like, come on. I'd even be praying for other couples to conceive. And they would conceive. And yet in our own life, God brought the fruitfulness in a completely other way. And for us, it was adoption. That's how he answered the prayer. But we had to keep going back to the place God asked us to go back to. We had to keep watching and waiting. God, we're ready for when you, when you prove your strength in our weakness, when you bring hope out of this despair. But it's also, I think, a story of what Jesus' ministry is about. It's a much bigger story, isn't it? And uh, when we read Scripture, sometimes I think it helps to ask ourselves, like, when did we, when did we last read something about water? and dead areas of water, and fish, and a man in the world. Like when, when have we last come up with that story? Yeah, you've gone to it straight away, Ezekiel 47. Well done, everybody. <laughs> and in Ezekiel 47, I wonder if Jesus, as he sat in that boat, saying to Peter, pop out, back out there, go and fish again. I wonder if Jesus, being a good Jewish boy, would have known that, remembered that story. And something in him just goes, wow, Peter's about to realize that Ezekiel 47 passion. Like that's about to come fulfilled now. So flick over to Ezekiel 47. In Ezekiel 47, we have this wonderful prophecy of Ezekiel the prophet. And he's given this vision by God. And in this vision, he gets taken to the temple. And underneath the the door of the temple, this, this water is bubbling up. Have you ever like gone home and realized that there's been a flood from your lovely neighbors who you just cherish and adore upstairs who've like flooded and you just like see the water coming under you're like, ah, oh my goodness. But as he's seeing water coming from underneath the door, let me read this to you. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple. Below the threshold of the temple, water was issuing and it was flowing from below the south end of the threshold and then it begins to go out and away from the temple. And the further it goes away, the bigger it gets. And the man Ezekiel is stood there and the water goes up to his ankles, then his knees, then his waist, then his shoulders, then he cannot stand up anymore. And get this bit in verse 9. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live, and there will be very many fish. For this water goes there that the waters of the sea may become fresh, so everything will live where this river flows. So this river is coming out of the temple. Why is that significant? Well, for the Old Testament, for the early, uh, for the Jewish people, the temple represented what? It's the place where God's reality touches earth's reality. But for us, that's not, like, you don't come here because this is the only place where God is, right? Like, God is only in the mermaid theatre. So if I want to meet God, I have to come to the mermaid. Like, you, that's not what you think at all, is it? Because we know that's not true. God is here, but God is also where? Where does God's reality touch Earth's reality? It's you. It's in your life. That's terrifying, isn't it? 
Like on a good day, I'm not that good a Christian. On a bad day, I'm horrendous. But like you are the place where God's reality touches earth's reality. So listen to these words again. So everything will live where the river goes. As you move and live in the power of God's spirit, wherever God takes you, there is change he wants to bring through you in that place. And what does he want to do through you? Well, he is the God who brings people in slavery into freedom. He is the God that turns darkness into light, weakness into strength. So what does he want to do through you? That stuff. That stuff. That's the stuff he wants to do through you. As you allow your life to be used by him. Isn't that powerful? So you have a specific call on your life, don't you? Music industry, fashion, education, politics, home care, looking after children, looking after the elderly. Uh, Whatever it might be, you might be unemployed. And actually, that at the moment, you say, this is a tough time for me, but this is not a non-time. My dad was unemployed for five years, probably had more experience of really ministering to people in that time than any other time in his life. It's not a non-time, is it? But wherever God has called you, as well as that specific calling, the calling that will never change on your life is that you are to live in such a way that God can work through you to bring people who are experiencing slavery into freedom despair into hope. What does that look like with the decisions that you can make every day? With the sphere, the, the sphere not the sphere. <laughs> God's not going to give you a sphere. You might do. But the sphere that God caused you. I still can't say that word. So I've got three, three ideas for you, really. And I'm totally unaware of what the time is. So we're okay, are we? Yes, he's smiling. So I've got three ideas for you, just to take it from here, of where we can land this in our lives, my friends. And number one is pay attention, pay attention. Where are the dead waters in your culture where you're working? Where is there despair? Where's there signs of slavery? In your family, in your workplace? Where will you need to head out into if you're going to be obedient to God's call on your life? And there's lots of us in this room who are strategists, activists. We want to have our plan sorted before we look. But sometimes the Spirit says to us, just look. Just pay attention. Don't go into that situation with your ideas already clocked. Just look at what's going on. Is there a corner of your housing estate where you live where you know stuff is painful there, but you always walk past it? And God might be saying, just look. Don't don't try and fix it, but just look at what's going on. Where is there the despair and the darkness? And for me, that is in youth work. It's in youth ministry. One of my bits of work at the moment is around working with girls and boys who are criminally and sexually exploited. And I went in about two years ago thinking, well, I know what the answer is, and I don't know what the answer is. And I had to do a lot of looking and listening and waiting and squaring hell in the eye and say, I'm just going to keep looking and trying to get to the bottom of this. Because I love these young people. And at the moment, over their life is being written all kinds of despair. Well, they live in that postcode. They're from that family where everybody's in prison. They go to that particular school. All their friends are in that particular gang. So actually, this person's life is done and sealed. Oh, no, it's not. Oh, no, it's not. Not while there is a God I know who takes people out of slavery into freedom. So pay attention. What is God asking you to look at? And I love it that someone in this church is a Lord of the Rings geek because when that film came out, I took loads of the girls that I was working to. Um, it's that guy here, sorry. Oh, is that? Yeah, brilliant. And I took all the girls that I was working to. These are the girls 
involved with all kinds of stuff and just really vulnerable girls. I took them for an outing to see the Lord of the Rings. They love me forever. And uh, when the film came on and we watched it, there was one particular scene where once it had happened, I jumped up and went, I'm doing this for you. And they were like, sit down, you're so embarrassing. But it's that bit where, are you ready to help me with this? Because I don't know the words everything. They're in the minds of Mora. And the Balrog from the deep is trying to come up and catch a Frodo and the ring. It's all about a ring, isn't it? A little ring. They go, yeah. But. So, uh, so Gandalf with the big beard, and I'm trying to grow a bit. I just think the big white beard thing is just the way to go for all of us. It's just so beautiful. And um, Gandalf is stood there, and he, the, the beast is coming up from the deep. And what does Gandalf say? That's fine. You can go and get Frodo if you want. Is that what he says? No. He says, oh, it's okay. I've got a little strategy. I'll put the strategy in place and that'll protect Frodo. No. What does Gandalf do? He stands there and says, you shall not pass. At which point I was like, girls, I'm doing that for you. And it's not really me. It's the Holy Spirit doing it. But I like to get in on the action. But what a beautiful thing. There might be situations God's saying, pay attention because it's not going to be long. and I'm going to ask you to stand up and body block some stuff. But pay attention to where there's death because I'm going to do a new thing. Also, I remember praying for a girl and ministering to her and mentoring her who became pregnant at age 14. And I was like, God, you can't ask me to do this. I want to have a baby. And, and God did some amazing things in her life in relationship with her mum. And by the end of it, God said, Rach, I did not need you to do this. I just wanted you to pay attention to me, bring life out of death. There are times where we pay attention to something because God's like, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready now? Act. And there are times where God says, pay attention because I want you to see up close and personal me do my stuff. Just you watch me. Amazing, isn't it? The second one is capture imagination. Look for the threshold experiences that open up people that you work with and love to the possibility that there is more. That there is more to life. Which is why this church, I think, is so beautiful in these communities where you are. Because people think that church is about just coming and doing nothing and being told you're a really bad sinner and go home again. But this is a church where you say, you've got stuff you want to be recovered from, bring that. Like, you're struggling with mental health stuff, like, bring that. You've just married someone and you're taking on their kids and that's like tearing you apart, bring that. Like, we're safe here. We're safe to grow and to live life in all its fullness. Like, we're all level playing field here. So capture imagination. What could you do to open people up to the possibility there's a different way to live? And the third one, head out into the deep. And this is where I'm going to land it. Because in Ezekiel 47, this picture of the water starts in the temple, but it flows under the altar. And theologians make a big song and dance about the fact that it's a weird, it's a weird flowing river to go like from there round under the altar. But of course it does flow under the altar because the altar represents the sacrifice of Christ for us. That this way of life is made possible because of the sacrifice of Christ. It is possible for you and I to move in the flow of the Spirit that even in our weakness, even in our frailty, Actually, our lives can bear fruit. And listen to these beautiful verses at the end of this, this vision. But they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water from them flows from the sanctuary. The life that you and I live flows from God. 
It flows from the sacrifice of Christ. It makes everything possible. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. This is a picture of abundance, of recreation. It's an encouragement to you and I to not simply be a culture survivor, but to be a culture creator, to allow the stories of our lives to tell a different story as we live out a different identity and a different destiny. Our call is to redirect the sphere of culture we work in so that human hearts can thrive to the glory of God. And this is where I want to land it with you, really. I wonder if the band wants to come and join me. Thank you. Because this is such a picture of what God wants to do in and through us. And, and sometimes we can read these and think, oh, yeah, but that's like everybody else. But not for me. Like, I'm just beginning this journey. Really? Could God use me like that? That my life could open up to other people the possibility that there's a God who loves them and fights for them? Do you know my life, Rachel? <laughs> well, if it's anything like my life, I do. And yet this is the promise of God, isn't it? That as we look for him, as we look to him, Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 3.16 that we, our lives radiate the glory of God. And so this head out into the deep really is a cry for intimacy with the Father. Every good thing begins in God's presence. And if you want your life to be creating culture that points to God, that allows others to flourish, it begins in God's presence. And I'm such an activist. I used to think that I used to hate the thought of like quiet prayer. Like, why would I quietly pray? <laughs> like, why would I quietly do anything on my own? That's terrible. That's not how you admired me, God. Until someone once said to me, Rachel, you want to be going out and doing this stuff. You've got to kind of get intimacy with the Father. This has got to begin with him. Otherwise, your fruitfulness will look like busyness. And the difference between having a busy life and a fruitful life is very good diary planning, but more importantly, it's intimacy with the Father. It's heading out into the deep. It's carving out time in your life where you will listen to God's voice and God's voice alone. Where you say, God, I want to be looking well. I want to be fronting up to stuff you want me to front up, but actually none of that works unless it comes from a deep intimacy with you. It just becomes religion. It just becomes duty. It just becomes savior complex. But the moment we say all of this begins in your presence, God, that transforms everything. So I just want to read these last few words to you again, and then we're going to just worship God, and then I think Dave and others will just see what God wants to do. But let me just read these words. And I, and I, and I want you to dare to be audacious enough to claim that these words of a vision thousands of years ago is actually God's vision for your life now, right now. Be audacious enough, be bold enough to claim this, to pick it up, to stick it on you, and to walk in this this week. Listen to these words. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live, and there will be very many fish. For this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh, so everything will live where the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea. From Engedi to Enclaim, it will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. 
but its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They are left to be for salt. And on the banks on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither nor their fruit fail. But you will bear fruit in your life because the water that flows from you comes from God himself. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this vision over our lives. Thank you for this calling on our lives. Thank you for your sacrifice, Jesus, that makes any of this possible. Thank you for your spirit that transforms and recreates us and doesn't make us better people, makes us new people. Would you dare to work through us like this for your glory, for your glory? Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or for further podcasts and downloads, please visit ChristChurchLondon.org.